Well, good morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're grateful that you are with us uh, this morning in what we call the Cross Point Living Room. This weekend, we had several uh, men go up to man camp up at uh, Miracle Camp in Michigan, so be praying for them as they return home today that the work the Lord has uh, done in them over the weekend would continue as they enter back into work life and family life and and, uh, the fray of daily living. Uh, We're grateful to have a drummer with us uh, this morning all the way from New York. Uh, Justice Lapp is serving our country. He's serving our country in the Army, and so uh, he is back. And uh, a while back, we're grateful for him serving and uh, heads back on Thursday. So be praying for him and for his family as they make that transition again. Our First Impressions team is going to be handing out the connection card booklets, so uh, these go down the rows. If you're a guest with us, fill fill out that gray section. Um, If there's a next step for you, something we can be rejoicing with you about, praying with you about, please share that at the bottom. And as leadership, we would love to be praying with you. Uh, Last Sunday, I shared a six-month financial update about where we're at as a church. If you missed that, I would encourage you to listen online on YouTube or on our website. Uh, it is a picture of God's faithfulness and His work in uh, our church and in, our, in and through our households that call this church home. And so uh, there's lots to be rejoicing about and lots to be uh, praying about as, as a church family. So make sure you uh, watch that or listen to that if you missed it. We're halfway through a four-week uh, series that we're, we're calling Moving Toward, and we finish it up next Sunday, and then we celebrate Good Friday and Easter, and I'd I really strongly encourage you to be a part of those services, if at all possible. Good Friday, we join with Eureka Bible here, which is always a a great picture of the unity in the body of Christ. And then Easter morning, we're here as a Crosspoint family at 10 o'clock. So uh, make a point to be a part of those services and invite others to join you. So we're looking at, we've been looking at passages in the New Testament that help give us a picture of what uh, the people the, the God is forming in us, shaping us into. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Galatians 2, that we are to be moving toward faithfulness in the gospel and not deviating from the truth. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 1, that we are to be a people moving toward unity in the cross of Christ and avoiding or fleeing division and disunity. Today, we'll be in 1 John 3 and looking at moving toward loving one another. So if you have a Bible, get to 1 John 3. It's toward the end of your Bible, not the Gospel of John, but if you find 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, you're in the right area. 1st John chapter 3. If we're going to be a people moving towards something, that means we also have to be a people moving away from other things. For instance, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, that we can't serve both God and money, that we will either love the one and hate the other, That we can't be devoted to both. Both can't be masters in our lives. So we can't move toward a growing love for the Lord and at the same time also have a growing love for money in our lives. In today's passage in 1 John 3, the Lord is not just calling us to move toward loving one another, but at the same time He's calling us to move away from other things. If we are to obey the Lord's command to love one another, then that will lead us to move away from other things. And so I want to teach through this section of Scripture, and then I I want to come back to three things that are are kind of taught in in this section of Scripture that we are to move away from if we are to move toward loving one another. Love one another. These are easy words that roll off our tongues, and yet difficult, pride busting humbling words that we must obey and grow in if we are to be a follower of Christ. 
If we say we are Christ followers, then in 1 John, uh, we are, uh, he, he gives three tests, if you will, that we are to pass as Christ followers. John wants his readers to be assured of their faith in Christ after reading his letter. He wants them to see the Spirit at work in them and help point them to evidence of that work. And he summarizes it around these three big areas or three tests, if you will. And how we respond to these helps us discern, are we really following the Jesus of the Bible? The first test is we must examine our hearts and pass a theological test. Do we believe that Jesus is the very Son of God, the only possible way for salvation, the Messiah sent by the Father? We must pass an obedience test. Are we obeying the Scriptures, holding the Bible up as God's authoritative word? That's not implying that we obey in order to be accepted by God. But for a Christ follower that has been loved, saved, redeemed, it does imply that we are now not living for ourselves, but we are living for the one who did that work of loving us, saving us, redeeming us, rescuing us. Is our walk lining up with our talk would be the second test. And then finally, we must pass the love test or relationship test. Do we love one another? Now, that particular test is one that we are quickly, uh, if you're like me, we quickly give ourselves a passing grade on. And we go, well, sure we love people. And our first thought goes to the people that are, that are easy to love, those people who love us already. You got some people in your life like that? They text you first, they initiate, and all you have to do is respond. You just ride their coattails of love. The ones who are just kind, gracious. And we think of those people and we hear love one another and we're like, yeah, nailed that. We love them. Or we hear love one another and our thoughts go to the comparison game. And we think, I'm definitely more loving than that person. And that person that we read about on social media, that person who we interacted with at work, that person who we read about in the news, that person who we live with, we're like, boy, we are far more loving than they are, right? Don't look at that person right now if they're next to you. We grade ourselves on the curve. But here in chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is going to step on our toes a bit and challenge us on what love one another really looks like. Not do we love one another better than the guy down the street or love those who are easy to love, but do we love in the way of Christ? 1 John 2.6 says that if we claim to know God, if we claim to be a Christian, we must walk as Jesus walked. In today's case, we must love one another. Jesus modeled it for us. He first loved us so that we would love one another. The whole idea of love, the word love gets tossed around really easily nowadays. As a kid in grade school or middle school, I would write the note to the girl or the girls who I had a crush on, and I would fold that thing up, and back when I knew origami, like you would fold that thing, and it would neatly tuck in like this, you know what I'm talking about? And so we, I would slide that into a locker vent, okay? And do you like me, or do you want to be my girlfriend, or something like that, okay? And I would list, I would have three things on that paper. I would have yes, no, and what? Maybe, that's right, because I'm not going to deal with rejection, so I'm giving them an out. It's like, a, so you're saying there's a chance, right? That's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm looking for. Because I highly doubt, I have very little confidence, probably not going to be yes, but if I get a maybe, so you're saying there's a chance. 
So love gets tossed around a lot. It has been since we were kids, or if you're a kid in here, it gets tossed around a lot in our culture. But what does love really look like? Not romantic love, but Christ-like love of one another in the family of God, in the church, with the brothers and sisters. What are the actions that we take if we are to love one another? In this section of Scripture, John gives us some insight into Christ-like love and the love that we are to move toward as his people. Verse 11, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John wants to be reminding us as readers, listen, this message doesn't come from me. It's not a man-made thing. John the writer, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he was an eyewitness of the life of Christ. And so he's making really clear here, this message is the one we have heard from the one, the one sent from God to be born of a virgin, live the perfect life, die on a cross, rise again on the third day, ascend to heaven, one day return to judge the living and the dead. This message of love one another, love your neighbor as yourself, was a consistent message for Jesus' ministry. It's found multiple times in John's letters here. It was important to Jesus, the Son of God, so it's important to John to pass on. Therefore, us as readers of this letter need to not only know these commands, but live them out. To not just be hearers, but doers. John begins by first telling us, uh, spelling out negatively on what love one another looks like. Don't fall into this trap. Avoid this. Verse 12, we should love one another unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. This is John's only reference to the Old Testament in in this letter. And it's a story from Genesis 4 that you might remember when you, if you grew up in church or if your parents, if you have siblings, your parents broke this one out. Like, don't be like Cain and Abel. And they broke this one out when they lectured you potentially. Genesis 4, Cain brings an offering to God and Abel does as well. And this is how it goes down in verses 4 and 5. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, we don't really see why Abel's offering was favored and Cain's was not. We can assume that the instructions that God gave to them, Abel obeyed them and Cain did not. And here's what we know. Abel's offering was looked on with favor. God did, did not look on Cain's offering with favor. And as a result, Cain now hates Abel for getting the favor. That hate that began in his heart then will overflow into murder. Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the universe, everything in it, including people, and everything is in perfect harmony. No strife, no envy, no anger, no loss, no funerals, no hospitals, no suffering, no disease. Everything is perfect. And then Genesis 3 happens. Sin enters the world for the first time. The fall of man. Adam and Eve disobey God's commands. And when sin enters the world with it comes all of those things. Sickness, pain, death, isolation. And if you've ever wondered how long it took on the effect, uh, how long it took for sin to have an effect on the human heart, we only have to go two chapters later into chapter 4. 
and see the first murder. Everything was perfect, chapter 2. Now there's murder, now there's strife in chapter 4. The human heart is born sinful and selfish, and it doesn't take long to see that transition take place. Here's what John is doing in contrasting true love with worldly hatred. If this section is about loving one another, then here's an example of what it doesn't look like, he says. So when I'm coaching basketball, for instance, I say, you know, when you defend, don't do this. Or when you shoot, don't do this. When you dribble or pass, don't do this. It's teaching with a negative example. So John is simply saying, don't murder. True love doesn't murder like Cain. And we think, that's all that John is saying? We're nailing this test so far. We haven't offed anybody this week. I mean, we've thought about it potentially. But we haven't done it yet, so nailed it. But before we get too far, let's listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It's right, Jesus, murder's bad. We shouldn't murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You're right, Jesus, but I don't murder, so I'm good. I'm free from judgment. But Jesus is notorious for raising the bar. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it was continually, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, and every time when people would lean in and say, yeah, yeah, we've heard that said, and then he'd flip it on them. He'd raise the bar. That's what he does in verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Anger, Jesus? Wait, wait, wait. Hatred? Toward another brother or sister in the family of God? I I thought we were talking about murder here. And the bar's been raised, and as a result, each of us are on the hook. And the command to love one another in a Christ-like way has taken on a more significant, hitting close to home way. Raka was this derogatory expression meaning empty-headed, insinuating a person's stupidity or inferiority. It was an offensive name used to show utter contempt for another person. Who in your life do you have utter contempt for? Utter contempt. Not just talking about in the world, but what about in the family of God? What about in this room? What about in another church that's gathering here locally? What about the people you live with? Is there a brother or sister that you're thinking is so inferior, so stupid, so empty-headed, and it has resulted in increased anger or hatred on your part toward that person, a growing indifference to them that they've been made in the image and likeness of God, that they are a fellow brother or sister in the family of God? It hasn't resulted in outward murder, but it has resulted in you murdering them in your own heart. See, Cain was upset that someone was favored more than he was. He was jealous. He was envious. Who is someone in your life that is favored in some way and then you haven't been? See, we tend to resent the one who gets the applause, the accolades, the promotion at work, the awards at school, the pat on back from the leadership. 
They got the good looks. They got the, their choice of whatever they won in court. You lost. Their prayers always seem to be answered with yes, and yours always seem to be answered with no or wait or hang on or those kind of things, and it's just always yes over there, it seems. And resentment begins to build, and it leads to anger, and it leads to hate, and all the while it leads to our hearts looking less and less like Jesus and more and more like our flesh. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Every man who hates another has the venom of murder in his veins. He may never actually take the deadly weapons into his hand and destroy life, but if he wishes that his brother were out of his way, if he would be glad if no such person existed, then that feeling amounts to murder in the judgment of God. Here in 1 John and Matthew 5, Jesus is going after our hearts, not just the outward action of murder, but our hearts. The hate, the anger that begin in our hearts. True love kills the sin. It puts off the resentment. It nips the bitter root. The world says you can just write off people, right? Just write them off. They've wronged you, write them off. The gospel says otherwise. The gospel will not allow us to write people off. It won't. Because the Lord didn't write us off when we strayed, when we wandered, when we rebelled. We were pursued. We were loved. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Now, this seems like an odd tangent, but no verses by accident. There's meaning here. First thought, it's tempting to return hate for hate. To go, did you see what they did to me? And then justify our own sin and evil action and desire. Romans 12, in the context of lots of verses about love that we'll read at the end of the service. But verse 17, the first half of it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So even when the world or those who don't know Jesus hate you, do not repay evil for evil. Jesus did not. When spit upon, mocked, beaten, he remained silent. When hated, he loved on the cross before the very people who were killing him. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The second thought, if you go back to John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples at the Last Supper. And, then, and in there, in that passage, he calls them to love one another. But then right afterwards, after he tells them to love one another, he tells them to, that the world's going to hate them. That they're going to face hostility. So he's preparing his disciples, listen, you're going to have to love one another well because the world, life, will not always be easy. You're going to face hostility. For me, my home is a safe place to come back to. After doing battle, so to speak, all day long, it's a safe place to come home to. Safe place to come back to my wife, my children. It has not always been Pollyanna, okay? I'll tell you that much. But it's always been safe. Always been a refuge, if you will, a haven. Your community group should be that way. Your community group should be a haven for you. This gathering should be a haven for those who walk in our doors. Sun chasers, for those kids, when they go back into their classes, that should be a haven for those children. Hype, middle school, high school, 
that should be a haven, a refuge, a place of rest and recharge for those students. Anytime we gather, it should be that kind of refuge. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. One way we know we are saved, or in other words, passing from death to life, is that we love one another. That there's this inner drive that leads us to care for one another. Mutual love is a mark of a child of God. Jesus said in John 5.24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. So when we believe on Jesus as our Savior and confess him as Lord, we cross over from death to life. In that moment, we've escaped judgment, condemnation, and now we have obtained eternal life. And then one outward sign of that inward change is we love one another. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Again, this reference is back to that if we say we love God, we can't also hate. We can't be embittered toward or angry toward a brother or sister in the family of God. Verse 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. One author said this, Jesus' path to the cross marks the selfless, self-giving way of life to which his followers are called. If we are to live and walk as Jesus lived and walked, we must love as Jesus loved. And he expended himself in his love. John 10 tells us that the good shepherd laid down his life for his friends. In John 15, 12 and 13, Jesus said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And then beginning in verses 17 and 18, John begins to show us one way in which we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. True love, Christ-like love, love that reflects Jesus and not our sinful hearts, it requires, demands, necessitates self-sacrifice. Here's one lie that we have believed when it comes to us following Jesus, that we can follow him, that we can be a Christian, that we can be a child of God and not have it radically change our lives. We can kind of just keep Jesus over here on the shelf, pick him up when we find ourselves in in a pinch or in a pickle, we pick him up, Jesus rescue us, okay, we'll put you back here because I want to live how I've always lived. If Jesus has changed your heart, it should radically, radically change how you live. It should radically change your relationships. It should radically change your perspective on life. Verse 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If we want love defined, we look at Jesus. And his model for love was one of self-sacrifice that he willingly laid down his life, bore the weight of 
sin on the cross because of love. Something we need to be daily reminded of, not just on Good Friday or in the Easter season. If we claim to know God and follow Him, the sacrifice of Jesus should move us toward humility and gratitude and worship, thanksgiving. Because until we come face to face with the reality of love displayed through Jesus, then we will have no motivation to want to lay down our lives for anybody else. I can tell you from my own experience, apart from God's grace in my life, apart from God's work in my life, in my own flesh, I have no desire to love others. Dave Pastor, or Dave Steinbeck, uh, lead pastor, Cross Point Community Church, glad you're here. Apart from the grace of God in my own flesh, I have no desire to love anybody. I have no desire to give anything away. I have no desire to serve, sacrifice, put anybody before me. I want every relationship to be about me. I want every conversation to be about me. I want things to come my way. I don't want to give anything away. If you want to give something, great. Bring it my way. Apart from the grace of God, the Spirit of God at work in my life, I have no desire to love others. But God's changed my life. He's changed my heart. He's given me a new heart within me, placed a new spirit within me. So that heart of stone that could care less about anybody else has been replaced with a heart of flesh. That spirit, that self-seeking spirit has been replaced with the spirit of God. And so now, with those new motivations, I want to love others. I want to serve others. I want to walk as Jesus walked because he's saved me. He's redeemed me. Which demands that I love as Jesus loved. In self-sacrificial, other-oriented ways, we should also lay down our lives. The idea behind the verb should there is must. So this is not a suggestion. This is we must do this. We must love one another. Not, not you, know, you know what? That person should do this. That person must do this. No, this is we, me, we should do this. We must do this. True love is not just saying words. This is about action and truth. To love as Jesus loved means it will cost you something. Literally, in this case, in the example that John gives, it will demand that the, that the money the Lord has given you not be under your lordship. Be under your management, but under His lordship. And be used for His purposes. The purpose is to love others. I have friends who have much, and they are extremely generous. I have friends who have very, very little, and they're extremely generous. A generous way of life does not begin with a dollar figure, and it's a lie if we believe that it does. A generous way of life begins with the Lord transforming our hearts and our willingness to say to the Lord, all I have is yours, because ultimately, ultimately all that I am is yours. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech but in action and in truth. 
This sacrificial love starts within the family of God. In the early church, in the book of Acts, we saw that in Acts 2, 44 and 45 say this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were dedicated to one another. They didn't come to be served. They came to serve. They didn't come to consume. They came to contribute. They were committed to making a habit of dying to self. Instead, choosing to follow the ways of Christ because Jesus willingly laid down his life for his friends. So then we will do the same. Finally, the last five verses of the section. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the Spirit of God he has given us. We will know we belong to God when we see, see us showing sacrificial and self-giving love to those around us. One of the big ideas, again, of 1 John is he wants us to be assured of our, our, of our faith. He wants us to examine our hearts and our lives, our way of life in Christ, but he doesn't want us constantly doubting, like he loves me, he loves me not, that kind of doubt. He wants us to be assured of our faith in Christ, to see evidence of his work so that we would lean into that work, say yes to that work on a continual basis. So in this case, an evidence of that work is how we love one another. One way we can be assured of being children of God is that we would be generous and love one another in self-sacrificing ways. We know we know God when we're really loving people. Loving people sincerely, loving people like Jesus has loved us. It's not the good works that save us. It's not the self-sacrificial love that somehow makes us acceptable to God, but rather it is, it is an outgrowth of the Lord changing our hearts from the inside out. Would there be enough outward evidence of Christ-like love in your life to convict you in a court of law if you were on trial for being a Christ follower? Could Exhibit A be your financial records? Exhibit B, your calendar? Exhibit C, the words that you either text or type or speak or think? What about Exhibit D and all these eyewitnesses of the people you live with, those who know you best, those you work with? those you interact with very, very little and just kind of passing ways. So we need to be reminded of the love of Jesus and be challenged to make progress this week and this month. We worship God by loving one another. It pleases the Father. It reflects the Father. You want to worship God this week. It's kind of this nebulous, okay, go worship God. You want to worship God this week? Do we want to be worshipers this week? Then one way we do that is loving one another. So bring somebody a meal, give somebody a possession, give somebody some money who are in need of it. Love one another with actions. 
To believe on Jesus means total commitment, all in, no holding back. One commentary summed up those last five verses this way. There can be no obedience of God's commands if there is no love for one another. There can be no love for one another if people close their hearts to those in need. And there can be no confidence when approaching God in prayer when people close their hearts to fellow believers in need. We must be a people who are moving toward loving one another. And in order to do do that, we need to move away from other things. In this passage, I see three things. To move toward loving one another, we must move away from hate, anger, and bitterness. Those are attitudes of our flesh that need to be taken off like old clothing, put to death, buried. Because for those who are in Christ, in the end, Jesus has already done that work. He's already died for those sins. They've already been buried in a tomb. He's already overcome them on the resurrection. Where is their hate, anger, bitterness in your heart that needs to be repented of? What's lurking in the dark that needs to be confessed and brought into the light today? So we can't be a people who are saying, we want to grow in loving one another without also being a, a people who say, we will not allow, we will reject the temptation to allow hate and bitterness, resentment, anger to take root in our hearts. The second thought is to move toward loving one another, we must move away from false definitions of love and instead let let love be defined by the death of Christ. The world's and our own flesh's definition for love is all about what I can get out of this. How does this make me feel? What are you going to do for me? It's love by contract. If you do your end of the, end of the deal, I'll do mine. If, you, if you're rude to me, then I can be rude to you. If you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I don't have to hold up my end of the bargain because it's contract. You signed, I signed, you broke, I can break. And all of that is false and contrary to what the Bible says about love. We must allow the definition of love from Scripture to rule over us and not the ones we see in culture or in our own flesh. And the definition of love in Scripture is most clearly defined and demonstrated on the cross. That demonstration of love was not about taking. It was about giving. It was not self-centered at all. It was focused on others. It was not self-serving. It was all about serving others. It was not about a contract. It was about a covenant. And finally, the last shift we need to make. To move toward loving one another, we must move away from empty, meaningless words and move toward actions and words that are compelled by love. John is calling that out in this passage. If you speak words of love, but you don't follow that with action, then you really don't love. Your words are just meaningless, empty. As God's people, we need to be an active people. Active love initiates and responds. It's full of effort. And active love goes first. And active love doesn't bring leftovers. It brings the first fruits, the best of the best. 
Again, the example of true love is found in Christ. He was the one who modeled for us what true sacrificial love is. And in each of these shifts that we need to make, Jesus is the model. He's the picture. I want our church, I want Cross Point Community Church to make much of Jesus. Not just Sundays at 10. At your workplace, at school, how you shop, how you drive, how you relate to people, in your homes when no one's around, in your private life. We need to be making much of Jesus. Worshiping Jesus as a way of life. And what I want us to see in 1 John 3 is how we love one another can make much of Jesus. It can either make much of us when we make it about us, or it can make much of Jesus when it's sacrificial and selfless, other-oriented, humble, worshipful. The worship team could come back up. What's... What's one faith-filled, obedient action the Lord has called you to? I think it's easy to walk away from a message like this and go, okay, yeah, we need to love one another better. Okay, I'll grow in that. Cool. We we should see that overall charge. What's one faith-filled, obedient action that you've been called to today, this week, One faith-filled, obedient action. I don't care about your pride. What's one thing you've been called to do this week? To grow in, move toward loving one another for the glory of God, for your good and for your joy. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, it, does, it is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Father God, it is our prayer that we would grow to love in the way of Christ. So expose the anger, the resentment, the bitterness, expose that in us and move us toward loving one another. Father, I pray that we would not define how we see love by our own flesh, by our own self-centered ideas or what we see in culture, but we would see love defined in in the cross of Christ. And help us Empower us, enable us with your spirit to be a people of action who do not just say these words of love one another, but follow that with actions and truth. Make us more like you this week, Jesus. We confess that we need you and we want you to be glorified. We want to make much of you this week and in the years to come and how we love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and worship. Romans 12, 9 through um, 18 say this. Let's, let's live in this countercultural way this week. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. 
Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, if possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's move toward loving one another for the glory of God this week. See you back next Sunday. God bless.